The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, we're in the midst of a conversation regarding uh, the unexplainable life of Jesus, and uh, this morning we're looking at power over scarcity. So before we get started, let's take a moment to pray, and, and then we'll take a look at the scriptures and see what they have to say to us. Father, this morning, uh, folks are coming in at different um, places in their journey and different places in their lives, and some of them are, are, are very satisfied and content, and uh, there isn't really any issue of scarcity that they're experiencing. They may have known it, but it's not happening now. But there's others of us who are you know, just really sensing a, a depletion. It might be physical, it might be financial, it could be soulish. But they just feel depleted and they're not certain how they can be replenished. And maybe they're even questioning if you care whether or not they're replenished. So what I'm praying this morning is that through, through this story that John left for us, that we can experience Jesus and his power over scarcity in our lives. Amen. So in this particular passage here, let me go ahead and read it and then we'll talk a little bit about it. John chapter 6, it says, After some time after this, that Jesus crossed to the far side, to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous sign he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he only asked this to test him, for he had already in his mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, Well, eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for them to have a bite. And another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. (laughs) Here's a boy with two small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go among us, among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets, and with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come in the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him a king by force, withdrew himself again to the mountain. Uh, A couple of things about this uh, story. Uh, First, it's in the Bible. Uh, Second, I wanted to state the obvious, so in case some of you missed it. Um, There's another uh, story of Jesus feeding a large crowd, and it's 4,000 people. I want to tell you a little bit about the difference of this miracle and the meeting, this miracle of 5,000, this event. Um, first of all, the, the 5,000, it's the only story of Jesus that it's in all four biographies. Matthew records it, Mark records it, Luke records it, John records it. It's the only one. There's nothing else that he, other than, let's say, maybe the resurrection, there's nothing else about you know, his life that's recorded in all four of those Gospels. Now, why that makes that interesting to me is that each one of those authors had a unique perspective of the life of Jesus. They were writing from a very specific sort of point of view, sort of like um, 
four witnesses to an accident. You know, it's, accidents happen in the middle of the intersection. There's witnesses at each corner. They all see the same event, but from a slightly different perspective. But John adds this to his list of stories, and we know that since he wrote this entire book, this, this, this whole little written thing, to convince people to believe, it had a significance to him as well. Okay, second thing. This story is different from the feeding of 4,000 for a couple of reasons. In the feeding of the 4,000, as Mark talks about it, it's found in Mark 8. In Mark 7, he tells us that Jesus was in the Decapolis of Israel. Now, we've talked about this area before. The Decapolis is 10 cities that were Greek in their culture and Greek in their feel. They're not Greek-influenced, they're Hellenistic. And it cut Israel almost precisely in half. And so that Hellenistic influence was permeated and morphed into the Jewish culture. Jesus specifically travels a bit uh, east, southeast, to go into this area. And he has this event there in the Decapolis. In addition, there was seven baskets collected, not 12. And this basket thing is not really a... um, it's almost kind of a side note. It would almost be like saying there was, you know, so many people there and there was, uh, and 80 of them had backpacks. We wouldn't even talk about the backpacks because it's not really an issue. Most folks carry one nowadays. Well, the baskets that folks would have carried are kind of like that backpack sort of thing we have. They're small. They're very portable. They have handles and they're meant to put your daily supplies, you know, your Cosmetics, I mean, whatever is critical for you. And if you're a woman, uh, other things that might have been important to you. Um, uh, so, you know, this, you can't think of big, you know, laundry baskets. They're just portable carry-on baskets. You know, they're woven. Um, the Roman soldiers would have carried them. The Israelis would have carried them. You know, they're a very common carrying thing. Um, so that, that goes on here. You know, if, if, if this is a map here in front of me, it's, it's on the east of the Jordan. And you can see that in a map. Of Israel, if it's something about the life of Jesus, it'll be in your Bibles, you'll see that. But this event takes up place in the north. This takes place in an area named as Bethsaida. And the other three Gospels, the other three biographies, record something interesting. So you've got to maybe get a feel for where Jesus' mind's at and where the disciples are at. In Mark, excuse me, in Matthew, it says that his cousin had just been executed, John the Baptist. And, and it, you get the feel that he's alone. And so he decides to take off into a, a place by himself for a while. He was at Capernaum. And he sets sail. And it mentions that people noticed he was going. And they, uh, some of them beat him there by foot. Seven and a half, eight mile journey by foot. Four miles as a crow flies sailing from Capernaum northeast to Bethsaida. Uh, this is the Sea of Galilee up in northern Israel. But Mark and Luke tells us not only had John been executed, but simultaneously to that event, Jesus had been working with these 12 guys. You know, we, we call them disciples, but you have to think in terms of students. Okay, He'd been working with these 12 guys. There was three he was very close to. right? There was 12 he spent his life with. There were 70 to 120 that were following him. And he sends 12 of them, I want you to go do what I've been talking about. Imitate my life. Now, now, understand that if you chose to follow a rabbi, you weren't just looking for information. You, you, were, you didn't want to just know what the rabbi knew. You wanted to become like your rabbi. 
And so now Jesus is actually saying, okay, I want you to take what I've poured my life out, what I've, what I've shared with you, what you observed me do, and I want you to go do it on your own. It's at this point that they had returned in Mark and Luke, and the event of his cousin being executed has happened, that he tells his 12 guys, you go, I know you've been working hard, and we're all tired. We haven't had a chance to even, you know, eat. Let's, let's just go off by ourselves for a while. And, 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 and he was concerned about them. And they take off. Crowds notice. They follow. And John here, he tells us that, that you know, he was going off by himself and um, with his disciples because he wanted them to give him a time of, of rest, time to um, process what had just been going on. But I like what happens here in verse 3, 3 through 4. If you um, can see a moment, like maybe, you know, the Turbo Canyon Hills out here, um, kind of a hilly, dry area, which is, by the way, this June gloom has taken a real turn, isn't it? It's more like fall weather. Some of you had to break out your sweaters these past few days, haven't you? <laughs> can I get a woo-woo? Uh, I'm with you. I, I, when it's cold and dark and rainy, I really prefer that kind of weather, and... and I've often said, if people need sunny days to feel good, that's just a cry for help. Um, yeah, you know, I almost wanted to break out some of my black turtleneck stuff. I thought, ah, you know, can't do that. It's June. It's always the right time to wear black. So, um, okay, if you picture the Turnbull Canyon Hills a little bit, and, and so Jesus, perhaps creating a natural amphitheater, goes up on a hill, he sees folks, and he naturally has compassion on them. And there's kind of a Jewish flavor here of... of of uh, folks who were folks paper who were uh, a bit misplaced, the folks who were perhaps confused where they were in their spiritual journeys, folks who were tired. Um, and, but this is a very Jewish crowd. There's going to be some elements of Greek. There's going to be some elements of, of Roman Italian. There's going to be some other elements in here. You know, perhaps those who are Pharisees on the out on on the, on the back. You know, the outskirts of the group. So we, we've discussed the kind of mass of people that would have been in Israel. But understand, this is a very Jewish audience that he's speaking to at this time. And it creates this natural amphitheater that for a rabbi, he sits, everybody else stands, what he spoke generally. As it's spoken here in John, this is the Passover time, so it's April, May-ish. You know, there's been some good rain, there's, it's grassy, it's kind of a lovely setting. But he's spoken for quite a while, and that's when the disciples begin, some of them begin to ask him, what are we going to do with these people? See, in most villages, even a big village, 3,000 people tops. So if they're out in a wilderness where they are half a day or a good few hours walk away, what they're, what they're processing is, look, you know, it's been all day. The crowds are going to turn on you. They're getting grumpy and tired. We're hungry, you know. <laughs> Maybe you're not concerned. Maybe you're not getting a bead for the crowd like we are, but you should probably tell them to go home now, to go buy food. That conversation went on. The other conversation that went on is that Jesus just flat out asks one of them, what, you know, what should we do in this situation? In a very typical Jewish rabbi way, one way to kind of grade your students was to place... An, to them, a theoretical, impossible decision, situation. What would you do in this situation? Or in a real-life situation, to ask one of your students, what would you do in this situation? In addition to that, because of the culture of hospitality, Jesus takes the role of, of responsibility for the entire group. 
And we need to care for these people. You know, hey, Tim, what would you do for the, how would you feed these folks? And, you know, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> there's this like 200 days of wages, a denarii, 200 days of money, worth of money, is barely going to feed everybody. Maybe as small businessmen, as fishermen, we might be able to pull it together, but we don't even have our resources with us. And, and where are they going to buy food? Because even a large village where your food would be bought on a daily basis, there's very, no refrigeration. You, you bought food every single day. I, they won't be able to, enough to feed this crowd. And, I, and keep in mind, that, you know, by the way, keep in mind that this is this thing in history, okay? Be careful about judging the past and passing judgment on individuals with your 21st uh, you know, century sensibilities. So when they say they, they, there was 5,000 men and they sat, you know, you might, oh, see, you know, there's, the scriptures always, you know, downplay or very, you know, um, disparaging to women. It, it, that, that was just really the culture of counting the heads of households more than anything else. And, 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 and I want you to also know one thing. Um, uh, at, you know, I'm a closet feminist at some level, okay? Um, even now, I'm wearing nylons underneath my slacks. But the point is, <laughs> stupid. Someone just said stupid. Well done. Is my wife here? Uh, um, but, but even the, the, the fact that women's roles are, we're sensitive to the places of women in our lives is a result of, I, I don't want to say Christianity. I'll say the life of Jesus. Um, so if there's 5,000 men, let's just say even half of them are married. And let's just say they have maybe one or two kids. You're talking about fifteen to 20,000 people. It's a large group. This is as large as the, one of the most uh, magnificent theaters in, uh, in the Greek world, in Ephesus, the, the Temple of Diana. It's a large theater. And this is a large group of people. And they're tired. And Jesus has been pouring out his life and speaking to them and uh, unwrapping the, the knots in their souls and bringing clarity to their life. John talks about the fact they were being, some of them were, you know, you have to see, I guess, the desperation of some families. They're bringing their son, their daughter, their uncle, their sister, their brother that are crippled, that are blind, that can't hear, can't speak. And he's, he's, he's healing and processing. And folks are, you know, so into the moment that they even forget to eat. Like some of you, when you're, when you're, when you're creating or perhaps you're, you're teaching or coaching or perhaps you're, you're doing something that you just, you're just energized by it, time goes by and you don't, you're not even hungry until you realize, my gosh, I haven't been eaten. You know, it's time to eat. Now, what I, I, I always love the details that are not explained. Like the, the small boy where's mommy and poppy? I mean, that's my first question. Where's this kid's parent? You know, you know you're, you're a parent. Like, where's his parent? You know, have you noticed that as your parent, when you, you always notice children that are unaccompanied, like at a mall? You give it a few seconds. If you don't see someone with that kid, you go, oh, yeah, there he is. He's got a parent. You, know? you step in. If you're a pet lover, it's, if you see a single dog, oh, you know, you're just that person, right? Okay, so I'm just saying that, I'm just saying that where's his kid's parents? Number one. And number two is, why does he have food and no one else does? You know? Was he squirreling it away? Does he realize there's a lot of bigger people than me and they're hungry and so I better hide my, my pan and pescado. You know, I don't want them to know that I have a fish torta here. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, Andrew gives them up. Well, there's a kid here with food. Dang it. Dang it. Yeah, I got food. Yes, I do. I have a small lunch. 
But what I love about this portion here to me is that it, it, it's that Jesus almost drives also another point to them. I want it clearly stated for the record. You guys don't know what to do here, right? There isn't something that we could sort of figure out together. You really don't know what to do, right? right? And you have no resource to feed these folks. Clear? We're all agreed? Right. Okay. Now I'll step in. Now, here's what I find funny for most of us, because some of you who would never identify yourself as a Christian, that's just not a title you would use. And by the way, that's not a title I rarely use for my life either. It just has such negative baggage. Uh, okay, there's an amen there. <laughs> um, but my point is that he wants to... Well, how can I put this? English... When you hear God speak to you, what's confusing about it is that it sounds like your voice. You think you're thinking, but you're actually having a mystical conversation with God. You, you, you think you're just rolling it over, oh, I'm processing this, I'm not certain. Because there's a dialogue. You know, that kind of thing. Apparently Spanish radio. You know what I love about Spanish radio? is that they, they do this thing where they're talking in, in Spanish, and all of a sudden when they, when they speak about a, a, our president's name, it's, it's very clear. President Obama. And back to the, you know, where did that come from? All right, what, all right that's... It almost it seems as if God, in our own minds, and like I've told you before, if you don't hear voices, you're probably crazy is driving you to understand, for the record, you don't know how to do this, right? For the record, you don't have the resources to figure this out, correct? For the record, you don't have enough, right? And what I find what seems to delay the, the replenishment in our lives is the schemes that we plan. I know, if I, if I just juggle this, if I just do that, if I... Uh, I just move this chess piece and plan this way, and you know, and it almost seems like, hey, listen, let me know when you're done, so I can kind of step in and help you here. You know, those of us who have been parents, uh, you know, you you would let your kid, you know, this is sound, this is going to sound almost diabolical, but you know, this is actually good parenting skills. You let your kids suffer through their their plans, like suffer through their little trying to figure it out. Okay, you want daddy to do it now? All right, let me know when you're done, you know. And, and then you step in to help them sometimes. Now, our Father in heaven, who's more concerned about our character than our comfort, is not trying to be immediate, you know, the great Advil in the sky and provide pain relief, but change the character so that this is healthier now. And so many times it's, it's processing this conversation. You're actually having a conversation with God and you're trying one little thing after the other until you get to the point where God says, okay, you, do you realize you are completely emotionally or spiritually bankrupt? I will be your resource. But until you hit that plank, and by the way, it's painful. I mean, who, who wants to admit that you know, they're coming up goose egg and butt kiss, you know, rabbit ears, right? Who, who wants to admit something like that in their life? It's embarrassing. You should, you, I'm an adult. I should be able to manage my life. I think all of us know, some of us get the lesson a lot earlier than others. 
you know, you, you, you can plan, you can prepare, but you're never going to predict the future. Security is an illusion. I, I, I'm, not, um, you know, I'm not down on folks, obviously, who want, who want to plan and prepare. We ought to have that discipline of managing our, our resources as well. But, but in the end, you know, you can you know, buckle your seatbelt, drive defenselessly. Not, you're not texting. You're not on the phone. And you're T-boned. Someone runs a red light. And bam, there you are. Um, you, you've managed your life well. You've investigated the stocks. You're looking to make sure that you've put your money in the safest place possible. And, you know, and your union pension is in collapse. Or GM went bankrupt. Or, and all of a sudden you find yourself maybe having to take a, a few steps back. Your hand is forced financially. It's just unfortunate. That's just how life is. That doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. It just means to remember that in the end, security is partly an illusion. So that's happening here at this moment as well. Now I'm going to go back to that kid for just a moment. See, here's, here's where you can sort of tell the speaker's mentality because they'll explain things usually that are not in the story. It kind of tells you more about him than it does about the story. But let me add my details into the story. I just don't think they took this kid's lunch. You follow? This kid's got this kid's got a you know a, you know a pescado torta. Oh great! <laughs> you know take it. <clears throat> Kid crying. You know what? I just didn't happen that way. I, I I guess in my head I picture um, you know Jesus himself walking up, bending down at the knee, getting eye level to eye level, and saying, "Hey, can I have your lunch?" And so you have to picture if it's a small boy, I don't know, ten years old. You know, they're picking their nose or touching something they're not supposed to publicly, like most boys do, even when we're older. And uh, so, um, so wh- wh- what, do you, what do you want it for? Eyeball to eyeball. Oh, I'm going to do something wonderful. I, what I love about this part of the story is that the, the person we don't know about is this kid. And I, I was thinking, man, what, a, what an impression that would have made of this kid's life forever. That guy would have, this guy would have been gray-haired beard down to here. This is his beard, by the way. Uh, he would have known that story as if he was living it at that moment. So, Jesus taking the place of host, as a host would at a dinner meal, prays for the food. I wonder what the disciples are thinking. This is too little. It's been given to the community, but it's not enough. And then God himself asking for a blessing over this, thanking for the resources for what they have. And then this is the other part of the story that I, 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 you know, I would have loved that, you know, this is the video camera. I would have loved a video camera. So where did that, where did that actually take place? Did Jesus break it off and it didn't break off? Did he put a bit of food a piece of bread and fish in each of the 12 baskets that the disciples had? And no matter how many times somebody went in, there was always more? Where did it actually happen? And I was processing this thing. It it dawned on me where it actually happened. Before I tell you where it happened, I also want you to know one other thing. In, In a Jewish festival, you know, there wasn't, you know, we have tables and chairs like this, chairs and tables you sit and eat. Right? That, that, that's just not how it was in Middle Eastern culture. You, you literally laid on pillows and ate. I mean, I would have loved to have been a Middle Eastern Jew at that time. <laughs> just laying around feeding me, you know. I don't have to even move. You just put your mouth to the table and just, you know, shovel it in. <laughs> Luxuriating, ended up looking like Jabba the Hutt at the end of that, you know. 
This is why when, uh, when someone was going to speak to someone at the table, you just reclined back because their chest was right behind you. Feet were out. So they, they sit down as in Jewish festival custom, but also in a military fashion. What was very normal is to put men in groups of 50 for supply and food distribution. It would have been circular. So they would have had sit the people down in groups of 50. They would, exact, they would have formed immediately. They would have gone right to formation because they knew what that was like. 50 group of here, 50 group in, in, in. And this is the other part I like about the story. You, you ever notice that John doesn't really mention where Jesus was when this was all happening? Okay, so this is me working my story out. I think he's bringing that small boy with him. And Jesus moves in the midst of the group. And then giving each bit to these 12 men to hand out, they start handing it out. So where does the multiplication or the, does the increase of the resource take place? In the midst of the community. In the midst of the community. I know that uh, some of us, whether it's, you know, it's our temperament or whether it's our preference or whether it's just, you know, you don't want to be that person who's, you're Facebooking. It's so funny. There's some things you Facebook that you won't tell people. Have you noticed that? There's some private things that you're doing. You'll put it up on BrightKite or Twitter it or Facebook it, but you will not say it to other people. It's, you put it up in the cloud for everyone else to know. And, and uh, all right, well, it's just surprising to me because I was working up my pain. But, but you, you perhaps don't, you, you don't want to share. And, 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 and I got to tell you that there's very little growth, no matter who you are or what you are or what you call yourself, there's very little growth that takes place as a solitary life. And by the way, as much as sometimes we prefer our independence and all that, you know, the, the reality is, is that folks enrich our lives. Family drives you crazy, right? You, you, every holiday, you remember why you moved away. But, but the reality is, is that their DNA flows in you. And they've colored your story. You step into a community like this and you, you know... It, I'm always a little nervous when someone says, oh, I love Mosaic, it's so great. It's so I just think, okay, I give it two months. Because if you, once you find out we're just people, you know, either you're going to have this huge disappointment, I thought they were different. I, I, listen, I don't care where you go, the church is full of people. And people sometimes blow. And they'll let you down. Even with the best of intentions, they're not going to be good. Sometimes. But it's really in the midst of community that we actually grow as individuals and our, and our souls are expanded from being raisins to grapes. We, they're, they're less shriveled. We, we are enriched by the lives of other people, even what's painful. Because what ends up happening is that to get through that pain, sometimes you have to become a better person. And you see in your own character where perhaps it's lacking. So this is why I think, you know, maybe why the actual event wasn't described as clearly is that the, the actual multiplication of this moment takes place in the midst of community. And so when I see people come in that have led maybe a very solitary life or a very narcissistic life, where their lives are like a vacuum, you know, they're just like spiritual or emotional vampires or sucking the life out of everybody else they've met. They come into a community and they feel like they have so little to give and offer that whatever they do share is, is multiplied and increased and everybody benefits 
the moment you step into this community, you've changed it. The moment that you walked into this community, you changed it. The moment that you walked into this community, you changed it. It's just that's how it is. You bring your, your, your culture, your flavor, your gifts, your talents, all of the, your life into this place, and you've changed us. And it ought to be changed. This is not a one vision agenda. This is a group and a community of many dreams and many visions. But I love the fact that also that I, I can't see the host, which Jesus would have played that role in, in not being part of the distribution in community. Let's go on a little bit here further and we'll finish this up here. So they pick up 12 baskets full and, and um, they, you know, the, whether it's a Greek or Roman or a Jewish culture, they, they would have abhorred the idea of waste. It just, it's just not something you did. And even, even though that it's miraculously provided, you still don't trash it and disparage the amount that's given. So a few things in here um, I want to share with you. Many times when you're feeling the idea of scarcity in your life, it's, it's, it's troubling. You know, you're a little nervous and it's kind of frightening because who wants to feel like they're right at the edge of having nothing? Nobody. I mean, it's not pleasant. But that's usually the place that we sometimes have to arrive at to experience God multiplying our lives. Now, by the way, I'm not speaking about money necessarily. It could include that. I'm just speaking as, you, as you know, a soul-to-soul conversation, our characters. Because I'm telling you, in almost every single case, in almost everything that goes on in our lives, there's going to be a soulish character issue involved. Relational, financial, physical. I mean, there's, you, you can almost trace it always back to your, your character or your soul. Whatever you want to call that part of your life that really colors and controls you. The second thing is, is that sometimes those conversations you're having in your head that you, you think you're just thinking are actually conversations with God himself. Where am I short that you can fill me up? And that's not always pleasant. I mean, you know, <laughs> we don't always want to hear where we're deficient. I mean, I'll give people a half hour. If they pay me a compliment, they got a half hour of my time. I'll give you a thesaurus to pick better words and adjectives. But who wants to hear when you've done, there's a shortcoming. I was joking with a friend a little bit earlier in the day. You know how sometimes somebody will be chatting for two, three minutes and you realize you've been bored for a half hour. And I find myself, when people are critical, I thought, okay, that was 30 seconds. That was like, went on beating went on for half a day. The idea of, uh, uh, you know, sometimes God is maybe just trying to drive it and make it very clear to us, for the record, you don't have enough, correct? All right, I want you to know that when this works, it was not you. I love you, but it was not you. Think about also the small amount that this, you know, kid gave. You know, I, I know that sometimes there's very, seems to be a very public or very, um, you know, open talents and gifts and skills that people have and then you think oh you know I, I don't, I'm not that person I'm, I don't paint I don't sing I don't speak you know I, I surely I have nothing to offer the community and it, it's such backward thinking everything that you are every skill that you have in fact you may not even see it as a skill because it comes so naturally to you the way people even set up order and organize the way people put up cloth and lighting the way people set up the cafe here the, all of that is an expression of God's gifting to you. 
But when you bring even what you feel is a small amount to a community, it benefits everybody. The scarcity begins to move away and the fulfillment and people being filled moves in. See, this is the thing that's funny. I, I know that it's, it's, it's easy in some spiritual communities. Everybody comes in. I'm not speaking of anybody directly. So, you know, if you've said this, I'm not talking about you. For the record, I'm looking for a place to get my needs met. You know, dude, you're a black hole in the universe. You're a spiritual black hole. Think in terms of how you could give to somebody else. And think of an organization where everybody thought, what can I do to help somebody else? Everybody leaves with, quote, their needs met. But if folks walk in and half of them are thinking of getting my needs met, I guarantee you someone's going to leave disappointed. For the record, questions that go in our head, trusting the small amounts in our lives, and then finally, when I think about this, this power over scarcity. You know, we're not going to give our lives to God unless you trust him. And you can't trust him unless you sort of spend some time processing who he is. You know, does his life work? Does his principles and his teachings work? Am I connecting to him? It is a relationship. Not just, you know, like a religion. All right. So I know that when I, if I was to say, you need to give your life to Jesus, you're not going to do that unless you trust him. And that trusting is not going to happen unless you're trying to connect with him. But here's what I want to point out to you. That whatever you give to God always becomes something marvelous and wonderful. It's always a benefit. You never lose. You do. People who hold back, you know, I, I, I know what fear does to folks. It makes folks greedy. It, it removes the heart and the spirit of generosity because they're afraid that if I give this, I'm not going to have enough. And once you move out of fear, you're moving out of greed, you're moving towards generosity, you, you, you kind of live a life of always outward movement, outward giving. And I think this is exactly where God wants to drive us to. Living a life away from fear and, and moving into a life of generosity. But it only happens when you spend time and actually converse and talk to the God that actually cares and loves you. Then you can have that conversation. Jesus eyeballs you and says, hey, can I have your life? What are you going to do with it? Something wonderful. Hey, let me pray with you guys and we'll dismiss this morning. Father, thank you that you, that you are good to us and you care for us and... You drive us to places that are not always comfortable for us, but you drive us so that the character is developed, which has a much, much higher yield, a much better return. And, you know, Father, what, what I pray for myself and my friends is that, you know, when we hit those moments of fear that we're sensing a lack in our lives that... Um, we would process that with you in prayer, in our thought life. What is it that you're trying to teach me about myself in this moment? Because all I see is lack and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel the fear creep in and I don't want it to choke out the conversation or choke out my generosity. So I need to know what it is that you want me to know from this moment. Help, help us to 
move towards you first and set up our plans to cover our lack. Help us to experience that part of you in our lives. And help us to remember that it's, it's, you are concerned and you are able, but you have a long-range view in our lives. And I thank you that you do care and that you do restore and you do replenish and you reconstruct everything that we've torn down sometimes. Every dumb decision, every bad mistake. So thank you for healing us. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for allowing us to get to know you as the God that has power over scarcity. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.